Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the movie Space Camp from 1986. Now, part of what got us to watch this is we know a young kid who just went to space camp. This kid was accepted into space camp in 2019, was supposed to get to go in 2021. Well, 2020, I thought. No, 2021. She had to wait two years, but because the pandemic slid everybody by one year. Got it. She didn't get to go till 2022. And the only reason I have the timeline straight in my head is because I remember when I saw her mom in 2019, within a month of her being accepted, I'm like, so I need to start looking for the movie Space Camp Mm -hmm. on DVD, right? To give to her as a gift. And her mom's like, nope. Yeah. And I'm like, but you say I'm a great gift giver. And she's like, nope. Well, the, the basic plot of the movie is kids go to Space Camp. See, perfect movie. They have the opportunity to sit in the space shuttle as it's doing an engine test. Things go awry. They get launched into space. But the shuttle wasn't meant to go into space. It's barely got oxygen. It only has a short-range radio. You know, wackiness ensues to a degree. Yes. So giving that to a young, impressionable mind who's now, what, 11? 10. 10. Who, okay, (laughs) would have been 9 if she'd gone when originally scheduled. Yeah. These kids here, most of them were teenagers. Oh, one of them had her pilot's license. One of them definitely has driver's license. Yeah. So these were, well, and Space Camp has, you know, the 9 to 11 group and kind of the aged categories. Well, and I liked how they took one of the kids from the lower ranks and, you know, let him get into the upper one because he'd been to the last, he'd been to the junior one like two years running or something. So they knew he knew all that stuff. Yeah. Well, and just to give a little update on Space Camp, 2022 was the 40th year of Space Camp. Yes. This referenced it being the fourth year. Yeah. And oh, how times have changed. Well, and what's funny is they had to have filmed it probably between the third and fourth at best, maybe even second and third, depending how long it took. Because, I mean, this was 1986. Mm-hmm. They've got special effects of the shuttle in space, of a spacewalk or two, that kind of a thing. And, you know, they're in the shuttle, they're doing the, the gravity-free floating and such, and it's 1986 effects. By today's standards, it's like, yep, that's composited, I think I see a wire on that one, and a few things like that. But that was the level of effects that were available that at that point. Well, and honestly, I mean, the wire works pretty darn good. There was only like one shot where I thought I saw a wire holding somebody up. And even with the compositing, if you look at the edges, you can see it. You can see the edges of the compositing, yeah. But that having been said, you compare this to the original Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you've got the TIE fighters and, and stuff uh, in space, you can actually see the box around them in space as they fly. Yeah. Because we're seeing it at a higher resolution and such than it was released at. 
Well, and when we sat down to watch it, I knew I was coming in for the story. Mm -hmm. For was it as much fun as I remembered having watched it, you know, as a teenager? And a little bit for the, you know, would it have been as funny as I thought it would have been to give to the 10-year-old? Oh, I still think it would. <laughs> I know, right? Whether their parents agreed, don't know. <laughs> I know, right? Well, and there are aspects of the movie where it it pays to be informed and it doesn't pay to be informed. How so? But space camp is in Alabama. It is not across the, the street, the river, the whatever... From, oh, there is no beach to be had? N well, I was thinking the Kennedy Space Center, ah. where the uh, the shuttle launched from, or certainly Got seemed it. to launch yeah, from. Yeah, they seemed to be there at... Was Space Camp always... Well, that's where yes. they said they filmed it, yeah. Yes. It's it's a little little mind-boggling there. For me, the the thing watching it today versus whenever I had first seen it, which probably would have been 1986-ish, was seeing... Leah Thompson from Back to the Future. Yeah. So young. Mm-hmm. Teenager. And, yeah. And, well, I mean... She was in Back to the Future, but she also played an adult, and in Back to the Future 2, I guess it was, played even, I don't want to say a senior citizen, but, uh, you know... Yes. Uh, older adult. Well, and now we've seen her in so many adult roles since then. The Jane Doe mysteries. The Jane Doe mysteries. She's done a lot of mystery movies and stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So having seen her at that point, it's just, wow, she looks so young. Mm -hmm. The other familiar face in there that at first it's like, who is, that? oh, that's who that is. It was Terry O'Quinn from Lost. He plays one of the guys at Mission Control. Yeah. And dark hair. Yes. Yes. It looks very different than you would picture him from Lost or even more recently uh, Resident Alien. Yeah. Because he had a, a spot there. Not a huge role, but I mean- Important character, one of the lead characters at Mission Control. Mm -hmm. Actually, the lead guy at Mission Control, because the other guy we follow is Tom Skerritt, who plays an astronaut who's working with Space Camp, is there at Mission Control, and because it's his wife who got launched into space with these kids, is kind of helping take lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the movie version of Space Camp, it seemed every group of campers had kind of an astronaut guiding them through the camp or as a counselor now when my friends well for the f the group of student uh campers we follow right so we were meant to have that impression yes 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 whereas when uh, my friend's kid went this year what fascinated me because they had a we got to watch streamed online the graduation mm. from space camp a ceremony and they would introduce the counselor to go up onto the stage and then give them their certificate for com completing space camp. And all of these were college students mm. who want to be astronauts in the yeah. future, are getting relevant degrees. And it's kind of the implied but not stated, these are space camp alumni who have moved up to counselors. Yeah and are still on track to be astronauts. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that there's so much in space camp, not just with the team building and all of that, but kind of the the giving hope that you can achieve your dreams. Yeah. Well, how, I guess it was Rudy, it's like, I really love science. He's not that good at it, but he loves it. Yeah. You know, and you've got the, the kid who loves science isn't good at it. You've got 
the girl with essentially photographic memory, but can she really use the knowledge sometimes? I mean, she if it's one that just memorization does it, she's great. Well, it was a combination of that and she really wanted to be a girly girl. She wanted to yeah. get to be a cheerleader type, just hang out with the girls, but she had so much information in her head that it was almost people are going to pigeonhole me one way or the other. And she was fighting to get to choose how she got pigeonholed. Well, and that was the actress who played Missy in the Bill and Ted movies, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I could be wrong on that, but it was a, at least a familiar uh, name in the credits. Definitely. Well, and then having the guy who really hasn't figured out what he wants to do in life and is just kind of coasting by. The guy who went to space camp because his parents said, we'll give you a Jeep if you go to space camp. Kind of the the bribe, because we know it's good for you and you're capable even if you don't know it. Yeah. On the surface, these characters didn't necessarily look like they belonged at space camp. And to me, that, that kind of felt somewhere between rubbed me wrong and a disservice oh. to the characters. But the other two, Leah Thompson's character, very much wanted to be there, was mm -hmm. a pilot already, mm -hmm. and wanted to, to be the first you know, mission commander, you know, female commander in space and stuff like that had her checklist and stuff. Mm -hmm. So definitely felt like she should have been there. And it was a, a, I don't say a coming of age for her, but a coming to terms of this is what you want, but you go through an experience that shows you that what you really want isn't what's right for you. Yeah. Well, and, and making peace with that. And learning the importance of playing your part on the team. Yes. Yeah, you may want to do everything, but you need other people for a reason. Mm -hmm. And being the best of the best at what you do and being on the team and capable of doing that can mean the difference between life and death. Yeah, well, I'm respecting other people have their skills, their abilities and such, mm -hmm. and you can't go it alone. Yeah. So, well, and Max was very much, seemed like he'd be going to space camp pretty much forever because, mm -hmm. again, he loves it. Because this was the kid. He was, you know, five, six years younger at least than the others. Mm -hmm. And was uh, almost waiting to grow into it, if you will. Well, and that's why they have the different age groups and the yeah. different levels. And Space Camp now has a robotics track and a this track and kind of a these specializations and things. Well, if you think about it, the whole STEM movement. Mm has come into being in a way that just wasn't around back then. Very true. Because while there is a lot of, of science-y things in this movie, there's also some very science fiction-y things in this movie. Jinx? Jinx specifically. The robot, handyman, literalist sort of a thing. that I'm pretty sure was voiced by a cartoon voice actor because it sounded like a Saturday morning voice and not in a bad way. Yeah. But that's what led to the, how are we going to get these kids into space? Oh, I loved Jinx. Oh, he had some great lines of dialogue and very, I think, quotable. Yes. And while his AI aspect and really the NASA computer AI aspect to a degree is still far-fetched 40 years later or whatever. They were hilarious. It, it worked in the, the, the course of the movie. I mean, I loved when you've got the little robot trying to convince the mission control computers must send Max into space. Yes. Max, friends forever. 
<laughs> well, and it's like there is no Max in the astronaut database. There is now. Yes, know? yes. Well, and then at first, when the computer's saying, you know, can't send Max into space, and then shows the graphic of the shuttle going kind of up and over the launch thing and crashing right back down. And I'm like, oh, is that not good? And then they reused the graphic later they as did. kind of a proof of, but this is how we can actually launch them. Well, it's funny because I thought those scenes when Jinx, which is, I don't say a prototypical uh, prototype or whatever, BB-8, but it's it's the round robot. Mm-hmm. This one has three legs with wheels that cart him around, a little head that pops up. Well, and the legs kind of lift him up and do kind of yeah. spidery things. Well, and when he gets into the, the computer room at NASA, there's another part below his, his two-camera part that pops up, too, shoots a light out, and it's like he's he's commanding and powering up the computer room or something. It was, yes! And, it, and you've got John Williams' music underscoring all of this, which is beautiful. Oh, it was amazing at times. But those scenes with Jinx... In the computer room where there's not a person in sight were frankly some of the funniest scenes. Well, the scene where the door opens and we have the silhouette of Jinx rolling in. I couldn't get over how much atmospheric, you know, almost like they'd had a fog machine going in there for a few days. Yes. It wasn't smoky, but you could see the haze. So you've got the lighting effect and the dramatic lighting and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm like. I feel like I'd go in there and just start coughing almost, but, well, but it, they, it, visually it was beautiful. Oh, it was. And then later when we're back in the same room and you have what feels like the scene where some kid would be peeking up behind the yes. equipment. Instead, it's Jinx peeking up behind the equipment. Well, when they had the at the top of his sphere or whatever, the, the almost periscopish-like thing that had basically two cameras and it's on a like a rectangular thing to where if you get it at 45 degrees, you see the two camera eyes. Yes. And it it humanized him while being very distinctly robotic. And I wasn't sure what was on sort of the back two sides. Yeah, I couldn't tell either. But if you think about it, this era of movies, give or take a few years, because you've got to really go back to 77 to get R2-D2 and C-3PO. But you also get Johnny Five Mm -hmm. from Short Circuit, very distinctive robotic look and such and a few others so getting something that was not oh i've seen this before or really even seen it since yeah but fit and kind of made sense and there are aspects of this that i have to think that whoever created bb8 had watched this movie and whether they consciously did it or not the way he was like barring himself from at the door when so he wouldn't get thrown out of mission control and stuff. Uh-huh. Very much like BB-8. Oh, and I loved so many parts of that scene. You know, Jinx rolls in with the Jinx sent Max to space. Mm-hmm. Jinx helped NASA save Max. You know, and the poor mission control people are looking at this little robot like, you did what? Yeah, how did you do this? Yeah. One saying, throw them out, and the other's no, let's listen. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it was a fun movie. There were one or two places where the plot, it's like, okay, they're up in space. They've got no long-range communication, because why not? And they're, they're flipping a switch to send Morse code back. Yes. Literally for 12 hours and not getting noticed. Well, now, we do take an awful lot of breaks from the Morse code. I got the sense that... She was... It was not nonstop. 
I'll put it, it that way. It wasn't nonstop, but it was fairly consistent yes. over the course of 12 hours. She should have been exhausted with sore fingers. She definitely seemed tired and a little annoyed. Oh, yeah. But kept at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if Jinx hadn't rolled in, hadn't seen the one flickering light, hadn't yeah. deciphered the Morse code, and then they throw Jinx out and have a human decipher the Morse code. Yes, yes. Okay, the robot that can read this with no problem. Let's let's not use him. Let's get some other guy, pull him over to this console that people have been ignoring all day. Yes. But that was probably the biggest plot hole that at least jumped to my mind while watching it. For me, it was kind of the 10 hours passed without really a comment on how how long it took to get from where we had gotten into stable orbit to Daedalus. Nobody doing kind of the pan from one character up to a clock, even if it was one doing the countdown. There was a point where it's like, okay, we've made the the change in our trajectory. Yeah. Now we just have to wait. Yeah. And man, there could have been a really fun montage there. Yes. Yeah. I because mean, even if it had been a, you know, what car travel games do they play in the Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because some shows would have done the character going crazy and you realize two minutes have passed. And yeah. others would have done the characters going crazy and you realize eight hours have passed. And since we really had two spaces that our characters were in, mm -hmm. the cockpit type area. And, and then, the mid-deck or whatever it was yeah, called. You could have actually had kind of the two different reactions. Yeah, yeah. So there was an opportunity to show us that passage of time. Well, there's a, a show on Nickelodeon called The Astronauts. I want to watch it. That seems, because it was done in 2020, I think. I don't know if for a season of 10 episodes, I don't know if they're getting a second season or not. But from what little I've seen of it, it seems like the same high level concept. But, you know, 2020 versus, you know, 1986, it's a 10 episode. I think they're half hour episodes versus a little under two hour movie. They'd have time to do some of these things. Yeah. So I definitely want to check it out. I've I've been stockpiling that one, figuring at some point it'd be fun to do. Because it's got a few familiar faces in it as okay. well. Erica Sarah from Eureka. Mm -hmm. I think Jonathan Frakes directed a few and was in a few maybe. So it, it I'd seen a, a commercial or trailer for it or whatever. And it's like, okay, that looks fun. Yeah. And it instantly reminded me of Space Camp. Well, I mean, just looking at the overall story and everything, Space Camp really holds up. Well, it does. It's also one that it, it checks the boxes. Mm -hmm. We've got the five kids. We've got the, the astronaut in space. Okay. The kid who was the communications officer, she's the one doing the Morse code. Check she had a purpose. Yes. The kid who loves science and stuff, he's not only manning the, the robot arm and doing a few things like that. He's the one when it's like, hey, how do we plug in the oxygen? He's the one who knows the right answer. Yeah. It's like, I've been studying this since I came to camp. Check he had a purpose. Mm -hmm. We've got the, the pilot who kind of thinks she knows everything and stuff. She freezes a time or two. There are also other times where she does the right thing and steps up. Now, one of the most notable times she froze, part of what seemed to make her freeze was she got a conflicting order from what her gut told her to do as leader versus what the astronaut told her to do. Yes. Yes. 
And that was really kind of a coming of age moment for both her and the other guy. Well, and the guy who was assigned to be the mission leader or whatever. And the minute they're in space and the astronaut's like, okay, give me this. And he's like, well, I, I, she's like, you knew how to do this in the simulator. It's like, I faked it there. Yeah. And she's like, out. Yeah. Put the pilot in, you know? So those two switching roles twice. Yeah. And both coming into the role that really suits them better versus the one that they kind of sort of thought they wanted or didn't want. Well, but that's also bringing up to my mind a great moment for when the guy did step up as leader, when Max, the kid, yes, was yes. out in the cargo bay freaking. Well, the, the box that Max checked is he's small enough to go do something. And it's like, you know, he's still in an EVA suit that doesn't shrink, but okay. And they how they handled that was hilarious. <laughs> it was. And while it made sense at first, the more we saw of it, I'm like, wait a second. I want that belt. They're using the wannabe cheerleaders belt to, to help strap down the spacesuit so it's small enough for him. And yeah, it went a few times around her. But I swear it was like a 30-foot belt by the time he was in space. Every time we saw his EVA suit with the belt around it, cinching it to make it fit him, it was like the belt had grown another six feet. What would have been funny is it's the, hey, give me your belt. We'll use that. Okay, great. Uh, it's not long enough. Well, why don't we use some of the, the you know, not the cabling, but you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. The, the stuff they've got securing everything in the... Yeah. Not that they had anything in the space shuttle, but if they had. <laughs> so um, I thought that was funny. But yeah, he checked that box. But when we've got the moment of he's freaking out and needs to be kind of calmed and stuff, they play on something that they had built up earlier in the movie, mm -hmm. just like they'd built up the relationship between Max and Jinx, which got them into space. Like they had built up, you know, all of these aspects of these characters. And I'm sure it got to the point of, okay, as they're breaking the story, how do we want to get these kids into space? How do we get them out of space? Okay, we're going to need one who can do this. Well, let's add that character. Let's set that up this way here. We've got this. Well, that makes sense to use him in this way here. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and fitting it all together. And the nice thing about particularly doing a story in a single installment is you've theoretically got all the time in the world to figure out what do I need for the payoff? What do I want to set up? What do I want to set up? How do I get it to pay off? And work the problem from both angles. Yeah. You know, it's one thing when you're releasing episodic television or comic books or something of that sort where you're setting things up and it may be a year or two down the line when you're paying it off and a lot of things can change in that time. Yeah. You know, do you get that far into the story? You got to pay it off halfway through when you expected to pay it off. You know, did something in a shared universe preclude you from using the character that was your payoff or something like that? Or were you just making it up as you went along and you never got the chance to say, oh, crap, if I'd only set up this at the beginning movie, sure, go do it. Yeah. You know, this was in terms of the scripting, for the most part, it was a tight script that felt like it had gone through a lot of good edits and rewrites, if you yes. know what I mean. Well, and I noticed that there were, at least I thought it was this one, that had two writers for the t screenplay and two for the story. Mm. So it may have been that somebody came up with the basic idea, hashed it out, and somebody else kind of either did the final polish on the script or something like that. But either way, the time they spent on the writing was well spent. It was, yeah. 
Well, I mean, one character, the one with the photographic memory, kind of the running gag became people asking her, did you read a book about? Well, or how do you know this? Well, I read a book about it. Or, yeah. 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 That They had a couple of running jokes like that. Not too many, not over the top or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, these people have gotten to know each other over the span of a week or two, I don't know how long, but by the end, they know each other and they've they've gelled as a team. Yeah. So it was fun. I think it's a a good promotional vehicle of sorts for NASA. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you never want to put kids into a real space shuttle on a real launch pad with real fuel under it just for a variety of reasons. Do you think that's why there was the uh, notice at the end? Oh, <laughs> I forget how exactly it was phrased, but it was essentially NASA's cooperation does not imply endorsement or agreement with the characters or the plots or something to that effect of yeah. we were involved but we didn't write the story folks yeah we we were involved but we we wouldn't do this to your kids folks that's how well, it read to me and what's funny is i'm really curious with the astronauts not having watched any of it is nasa involved in in the is nasa used in the story because mm. like in power rangers they had nasada mm. You know, it's like, okay, it's supposed to be NASA, but it's not. But even if NASA is involved in the story, are they involved in any way behind the scenes? Because these days, I think you could do a lot of this sort of film with digital effects and other things that you don't really would need. You wouldn't need to go to space camp. You wouldn't need to go to any of their places to get a mission control room or something like that. Hell, I'm sure every major studio probably has one either sitting around or one they can cobble together pretty quick because we've seen mission control rooms on so many films and movies and TV shows. I think the stuff that they really did need from Space Camp was like the Axis machine. Yes. Well, when they were in the training and it's like, okay, let's go sit in, not only sit in the shuttle, but let's walk around the training shuttle. Mm -hmm. Let's go see the robotic arm. Let's go do those things. Filming it on location absolutely makes sense yeah i just think that some of those sorts of things you could get around these days with some digital wizardry if you needed to yeah which is so much more affordable and believable these days so because when you're filming in i mean when the the movie got to the point of okay they're in the shuttle the whole time now they had to have a soundstage for that yes you know that's that's a given i think yeah that's how it felt to me yeah And that's part of why I wondered how they did some of the we're floating effects. And like at one point, it felt like they had one of the characters positioned such that he could sit such that we weren't seeing that he was sitting, but with his feet kicked up above waist height. So it looked like his feet were floating. There were a couple of times where I think they had positioned some of the walls that we would expect to be at one orientation in another to where people could be leaning and sitting against them at an odd, not sitting pose, but seeming like they're floating on the ceiling when they're not. Add to that somebody composited behind them who was filmed on a green screen kind of floating about or doing some wire work Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple where it's like, well, that's really smooth. There one or two, it's like, yeah, I see the edge of the mat sort of a deal. Do you remember when we would do the tour at Universal Studios Mm -hmm. and when we would get to the sound stages part in the back lot 
they would let us see the green screening for E.T. flying in the basket. But one of the other things they did in that part of the tour was they had a room where everything on the ceiling, et cetera, everything was nailed down, bolted down every which way it could. And like the chandelier was a pole, not a chain. Yes. And then the room could be physically rolled. Well, that's the sort of thing I think they did for Lionel Richie's uh, Dancing on the Ceiling video. Yeah, and they they would show us how somebody could start dancing on the ceiling, and if they rolled the room just slowly enough, it could look like he was going from the ceiling to the sidewall down to the floor. Yeah, the whole thing is on a gimbal or, or what have you, and if you move it at the right thing and the person inside knows what they're doing, you can do just some amazing effects. Yeah. And I didn't feel that they were at that level for this because for the most part, it felt like we were at a single orientation, but I don't know how they filmed it, but certainly these days. But I wondered if some of the rooms were basically built. I don't know because, um, well, like the cockpit, we had to jump up into the seats and lay on our back and then it straightened. I think there's some of that. I think they may have had one set for that. And another where we're coming at it from like through the, the, the front window, if you will, mm-hmm. angle. And well, we would have expected that to have been the back wall that may have been the floor. And if you do a few of those sorts of angles, you may not need to actually move the room. Just have two or three of them yeah. at the different orientations. Because we never really pivoted the camera such to see that. But yeah. these days, again, you can do such great green screening effects in a, a home computer mm-hmm. man you throw a production budget behind it and it's insane well i mean this movie is so old that none of the kids had stuck any kind of camera or contraband like that into one of the cargo pockets on their uh, jumpsuit i think the closest we came to contraband was a candy bar that yeah. max had smuggled in well i mean yeah that's going to be the difference with something like the astronauts where you're living in a day and age of cell phone cameras, action cameras. You know, you don't need somebody with, with good memory. You need somebody with access to the internet. Yeah. And it would be hilarious to have somebody who you thought had the good memory was doing the internet thing and now you're out of range. Yes. Yes. Flip side, you're also going to be up in space with so many satellites up there that would you ever be out of range? Interesting question. Well, and... If you were flying up in a shuttle these days, there's a lot more traffic up in space than there used to be. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about the astronauts. I thought this was a ton of fun. And yeah, I really thought it held up well. Yeah, that's where I'm at. It held up really well. And I'm glad we rewatched it. Well, and I also thought it was fun because some of the 80s tunes that were playing in the background and stuff like that. I mean, I'm a kid of the 80s, so I enjoyed that part too. People had cassette players at the end. Yes, when it's RCA <laughs> cassette music or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, watching the uh, the credits was just a little funny in a few places. Just because, yeah, it's it's a different era. Yeah, I I was thinking when we started recording this, it's not quite a back issue spotlight, but uh... well, there was one where we're in the the space camp area. We're getting about to the point where Jinx is going to overhear Max saying, "I want to go mm. into space." But there's this shot, and down the hall, there's what looked like a either a training room. It didn't look like it was a mini mission command but it may have been 
But I remember commenting, look at those big CRTs for the monitors and such. Yeah. Versus now, not only do you have flat screen TVs, you can put a whole damn computer in there. It's yeah. It's a totally different world. It really is. So, but all of that having been said, there was nothing about this film that felt dated. I would agree. I mean, I expect to see flip switches and crap like that in a space shuttle just because of gravity, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a reason they design these things yes. this way. Yes. You know, but there was nothing else that made me think, wow, you know, that feels old, that feels anachronistic or, or anything of the sort. I agree. And that is pretty impressive, too. Yeah. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>